He is the way and the truth and the life. We have to die in order to live. All right, so here we are. Good afternoon, Father. Hey, John Ray. How's it going today? Uh, it's going great. Is it? It's going better than I deserve. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay, we're going to have to work on a new line. Oh, something else. My son got a kick out of this one. Um, so we were listening to the podcast, the one that you introduced yourself with. Okay. And I'm a real big mindset person. And part of mindset is choice of words. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a word. The glass that, is half full, not half empty. There's a absolutely. There's a word that you use quite frequently that I have made my life's mission to eliminate from your vocabulary. Um, nope. I say um a lot. I say um a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think smart people say um. I think it's you know backwards and, Cajuns say um. Well, I mean maybe there's that too. So the word is try. Try. Yeah. Are you familiar with Star Wars? Yeah. There's a little character. There's in, a little character. Not the baby one, but the no, older one. Yeah, the original. Um, his name's Yoda, <laughs> and he has a saying. Have you? Are you familiar with this saying? Why don't you enlighten me? <laughs> he says, you either do or you don't. There is no try. So we're going to work on, would you, would you mind if I work on eliminating the word try from your vocabulary? I'm, I'm okay with that. But I also want to say this, a little green alien said that. So how, how truth, how, how much weight can we put on that? So for me, if I use the word try, then I've given myself a way out of doing something because I'm trying to do it. Oh, well I tried and it didn't work. Right. So instead of the word try, I say I'm currently working on it or I'm in the process of it's just a mindset thing for me. Okay. My kids hate it. <laughs> absolutely hate it. But that's it. part of the job of kids. Yeah. To hate what their parents do. Absolutely. So um, this Sunday, this last Sunday, mm-hmm. you, uh, you mentioned something about people liking you in your homily. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the... If you're one of the... How many? Three. You really think three people like you? I don't know. I think I'm sure there's like four or five. Oh, okay. But uh, no, you don't. You don't shoot too high. You know, God says, you know, sit sit at the end of the table, and then uh, you know, through his your humility, he'll put you at the front. So uh, if you constantly just lowball, if you constantly try, you just only try. There's that word again. And then uh, if you fail, it's no problem. But if you succeed, man, wow. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So if we get over three people listening. I mean, I'm exceeding had, all expectations. We've had more than three people that have listened. You see, 100% success. The debate is, are they listening because of me <laughs> or are they listening because of you? Well, look, those are, at the those are the, things we'll learn at the uh, end of time. At the end of the day, we can go, both go to confession for our lack of humility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very prideful of that. So um, this this last Sunday in the gospel, Jesus kind of, well, actually it kind of picked up where it left off, right? Mm -hmm. He he drops that bomb. Well, I, you know, my flesh is the, I am the bread come down from heaven. Right. And, and this last Sunday, the people, the Jews, um, were they, they found themselves arguing and I think they even got scolded by Jesus a little bit. Yeah. Um, It started off by saying the Jews murmured about, uh, about Jesus because he said, this. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Yeah. Right. So he ruffled some feathers. Yeah. And so what's crazy is that, um, so a lot of John chapter six comes from 
the Old Testament and Exodus. Mm-hmm. So whenever the Israelites, we've all seen this movie, right? Or, or whatever movie, which the cartoon or the live action one, where it's, you know, Moses is freeing the Israelites from they Pharaoh. people. There yeah, you, you don't go. want me to sing. Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, they, and they cross the Red Sea and then they go into the desert, right? And they're, they're given bread from heaven, right? Manna. And so at this point, uh, there's a lot of parallels between the two, mm-hmm. and especially that, the murmuring. Yeah. The murmuring of the Jews is also symbolic of the murmuring that happened against Moses. So are you telling us that the Old Testament points towards the New Testament? Boom. Mm. I mean, it, no, it is a radical, it's a radical thing when you could start connecting the dots. Sure. Because then you see what God was was doing or trying to do with a hardened people, Man, right? You're, you're hard-headed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, now I'm going to just work on saying try. Uh, but hey, how, if you want to limit your beliefs, that's fine. <laughs> I, thought in, I thought in the Catholic world we're all about shooting for the sky, but shooting for I the mean, stars. you can limit your beliefs. Uh, so, but God, what God was doing with the people, but their hearts were hardened, right? They, they worked with God, but only to a limited degree. And now Jesus is coming to fulfill everything that God was doing in the Old Testament. Okay. Explain that. So the, I think we've talked about it before. It's a typology. It's is okay. It, Maybe somebody's joining us for the first yeah, time. Yeah. So, so typology is a technical term. It's a big fancy word. Uh, that means that the things in the Old Testament point to the things in the New Testament. Right? So whatever happens in the Old Testament... Remember, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And so that's basically what typology is, that Jesus takes the Old Testament, which is something very good, and then he fulfills it. The Old Testament is very good, but not perfect, not uh, complete. Okay. It's like a, it's a story without an end. And then the New Testament comes. Okay. So this, this last Sunday, you talked about sacrifice a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Go ahead. How does the sacrifice that you refer to of Calvary, mm-hmm. how is that mirrored in the Old Testament? Oh, wow. So there's a lot. Sure. Yeah. I mean. But I don't know if mm-hmm. all of our listeners know yeah. about this. So things. I guess I could try to start from the beginning. I, I mean, to go through all of them, we'd need. You know the baseball joke, right? No. The Bible talks about baseball. You've never heard this one? Uh oh, is this a dad joke? Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm interested. Okay, go I'm ahead. sorry, you said no, something. No, that go it ahead. Just I want to. I want to know this before I talk about sacrifice. In the very first line of scripture. Okay. In the big inning. Oh my gosh! Well, it's almost as good as you know. <laughs> the husband has to brew coffee. You know why? Why? Because in scripture it says he brews. Wow. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so you were talking about sacrifice. If I drop this, <laughs> if I put this in my homily, people better walk out. <laughs> they said, Father Connor, he's not, Father Poirier is not even trying anymore. He's just saying dad. Okay. Man, you really keep, keeps living that word in. What's, oh, we're trying? You see, now, now I don't even know I'm doing it. You, okay, I'm going to stop. It. I'm going to stop. Uh, um, okay, so sacrifice. Sacrifice in the Old Testament. How does the sacrifice of Calvary, you know, you said you were going to go back to the beginning. Yeah. So I would say the sacrifice is rooted in the priesthood. 
the priesthood of the Old Testament. There's a few different priesthoods, the Levitical priesthood. There's also one that's continued today. And it's talked about actually in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, there we go. Uh, It's called the line of Melchizedek. You hear it in Sunday Mass, right? The the sacrifice according to Melchizedek, right? Um, Melchizedek was this random figure, this very mysterious figure that came up in the Old Testament and the, uh, the father of faith paid him tribute and then he just kind of disappeared. The idea was that Melchizedek was a, 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 a figure. He was a real person, but he was a figure of eternity because they didn't say he had a beginning or an end. He just kind of showed up and left, which if you read in the Old Testament, that doesn't happen. Usually they say the son of, the daughter of, the son of, like it, all the way up to like 15 generations. And so the fact that he just kind of pops in and pops out and the letter to the Hebrews fulfill, like completes that thought. He represents kind of eternity. And so Christ is a priest in the line of Melchizedek, or so am I, right? And why sacrifice? So what you're saying is in the Catholic Church, um, we can trace our roots back, our priestly roots back to Melchizedek. Did I understand that correctly? So we could trace our priestly roots all the way back to Jesus. Okay. Right? That's our priestly. Melchizedek, no. Because okay. Melchizedek was this figure that just kind of popped up and then went away. Right? So all the, the prophets of the Old Testament paid him tribute. And the prophets paid no one tribute but God. Okay. Right? And so what it shows is not that Melchizedek was God, but that Melchizedek was higher than them, higher than the prophets, higher than the Levitical priesthood. The idea is that his priesthood was directly from God. Okay. And so is... So what you're saying is our priesthood is directly from God. Yes. Mm. And so, okay, now priesthood, now I'm going to connect to sacrifice. Because the sacrifice... Can we go on a tangent just for a little second? Absolutely. Just because I like tangents. Watch out. Don't knock your mic over, man. Okay. I'm here. (laughs) Scott boys. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, So... I've only, disclaimer, I've mm-hmm. only ever been to a chrism mass once, um, just because usually it's Holy Thursday and I'm here setting up things and, you know, whatnot, getting ready for the the the, the liturgies for the Triduum. Um, but I had a really cool moment at that, as you talk about, you know, we know that if we go to John, is it 19 or 21, where he breathes on the, the, the apostles in the... It might be 21. I think it's 21, where our priest where our priesthood comes from, right? Where he breathes on them the authority to give, forgive sins, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so, you know, I'm watching at the chrism mass as they bring up all the oils and the bishop bless them, right? Mm-hmm. And there was just this really cool moment when he blesses the chrism oil. By breathing, breathing on it. it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there it is. The scripture just came alive. Yeah, It's that breath because the chrism oil, for those of you listening that don't know, it's used in a number of our sacraments, but it is the oil that is used to seal the priest and priestly ordination. Yes. So it was just, it was like, wow. So as you talk about the priesthood comes from God, Jesus instituted the priesthood that, you know, that we have in the Catholic church. 
by breathing on them. Yeah. And that breath is then passed down from bishop to bishop to bishop to priest through the chrism oil. So that actually meshes, that tangent actually meshes perfectly because the liturgy is pretty much scripture coming alive. Sure. Scott Hans talks about the book of Revelation coming alive mm -hmm. in the mass as he was yeah. discerning being so like if, if every single part of the mass can be found within scripture, either lived out or in an analogical, uh, analogical sense, right? And so a perfect example. That's what, a big word for a Scott boy. It is, yeah, I'm dropping all types of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's not as big as the word you used that said, you know, dating advice. Oh, yeah. The uh, transubstantiation. <laughs> Can't believe I used that in a homily. Uh, Twice. But, I mean, so the liturgy is where scripture comes alive. So if you read scripture and, you're and you read and you read, you read the whole thing, right? And it's like, man, how is this lived out today? Like, what does this have to do with the, the liturgy? It's the liturgy. The liturgy is the key. Sure. The liturgy is where scripture comes alive. And so going back how to sacrifice... Sacrifice is found all through the Old Testament, right? I get a low-hanging fruit one of that would be the scapegoat, right? Mm -hmm. How the, the chosen people would kind of cast, this is actually where the, the saying comes from, scapegoat. They would uh, kind of put all of their sins for an entire year, metaphorically, on this goat, and then they'd cast the goat into the desert or this lamb and they'd cast it into the desert and they'll say, okay, our sins are gone, right? At least for this year. And then the next year, they'll just cast again all of their sins on this lamb and cast it into the desert. Now, in the New Testament, who is the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world? I know, I know. It's Jesus. There you go. I mean, that's 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 the New Testament fulfilling the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, they have plenty of sacrifices. The sacrifice of Isaac or the almost, almost, sacrifice. almost sacrifice of Isaac, the sacrifice of this lamb, uh, especially on the Pas the Paschal um, week that would happen for the Jews. All of this is taken up by Christ and then fulfilled in his life, but then also ultimately in the cross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have this theme of sacrifice that kind of flows through scripture and threads through scripture that ultimately I would say climaxes at the crucifixion. Yeah. Right? But then you tied that into the liturgy. What did you say about that? Well, I want to, I, I wanted to say like, why did we need sacrifice? And then to tie it into the, to the liturgy. Um, how does it tie into the liturgy? Think about it like this. I said that God's, that our Lord's sacrifice, a blessed Lord's sacrifice on the cross, could not be contained by just one day. By Good Friday, it was, and so the benefits of it reverberate throughout the ages. Okay, now think about it like this. Someone who survived the Holocaust, right? I've met a few from uh, different uh, events that I've been to, um, you know, they still have the tattoos from the uh, the jail, mm -hmm. or they they still remember everything, and they said no, they, it still affects them, right? That one event that was so traumatic and so powerful for them way back then still affects them all these years later. 
And it not only affects them, it affects the people around them, right? Their relationships, right? Their, their spouses, their kids, their grandkids, all that. But think about that for Christ, right? The, um, that uh, his own sacrifice reverberates. It cannot be contained by time. And so with that, the mass represents, we don't re-crucify Christ. Sure. That doesn't happen. But God, who is not contained by time, that's important to realize because God creates time. He does, he's not contained by an eternity. There's no time. Sure. It's one of the craziest things to think about, actually. We used to do that all the time in seminary. Uh, but It's because you all had too much time. Well, I mean, like, just to try to think about it, like, how do you... I, I went, that's a big tangent. We're not going to go down right now. <laughs> you, you missed my pun. Yeah, I know. We had too much time. <laughs> so so on that note, just talking about the timeless nature of the Mass, I can remember years ago, um, really when I was first getting into like Life Teen and you know I was early in my ministry, there was a, there was a, uh, a Life Night that we did called The Timelessness. Uh, it was called Timeless. And it was about the timeless nature of the Mass and how I, I think that one thing that most of our parishioners don't realize is what we talked about and what you're alluding to right now is that it's one mass. There's one sacrifice. And that when you and I step into mass, we're stepping outside of time. Yeah. And that when we're at mass, it doesn't matter if I'm at mass this morning at 6 a.m., today at noon, Sunday at 5, next Sunday at 5, that... Every mass that is ever celebrated is connected to the other. Yeah. All the way back to the Last Supper and all the way through the heavenly feast that we'll celebrate in heaven one day. Yeah. So the weight of that is pretty cool. Like if you think about the power of prayer in mass, right? All of the masses that have ever been said and that will ever be said are interconnected and intertwined yeah. in one sacrifice. The more you learn about the mass, the sacredness, the timelessness of the mass, the more sacred it becomes, the more supernatural it becomes. Because when you hear this and it's like, well, that's not that's not natural at all. Well, you're right. It's not. It's an act of God. Mm-hmm. That now God uses people, but nevertheless, it's still an act of God. In the same way you read these miracles of the Old Testament, God works bigger miracles now, right? The splitting of the Red Sea, baptism's a bigger miracle than the splitting of the Red Sea. And the sacrifice on Calvary, the, one of the miracles is that it continues today. It's, it's represented today and that we can still bear the fruit of Calvary today. And that's why I said that whenever you look at the host, I've been going into really three main themes of the host. Last week, or this one that we just covered, was sacrifice. The one before that was presence. And the final one I'll do in two weeks uh, because we have the assumption this upcoming week. Uh, But whenever you look at a host... So we're going to deviate off of the the bread of life discourse we we will uh but um come on man you could connect that i'm gonna connect i'm gonna i'm gonna in some crazy way i'm gonna tie in the assumption with the eucharist and i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i was at a conference and one of the speakers the title of his talk was mary the mother of the most holy eucharist yeah 
Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm determined. Uh, and gonna, look, it's, it's not... I like it. You're going to do it. You're uh, not going to try oh, to do it. Oh, man, you got me. <laughs> yep, you got me. Yep. And so, but the thing is, like, I don't have to make it up. It's already there. I just have to make sure I do the research to where I could present it well. But, I mean, the sacrifice of the mass... I think it's important to realize that we still need sacrifice. Like, in order for a, a relationship to continue, right, let's just take marriage. In order for a relationship to continue, both people have to be willing to sacrifice for the other. They have to be willing to put the other one before themselves. I've been telling Alicia that for years. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's the same thing with God. God has sacrificed for us. He sacrificed his only son. And he content I mean, that sacrifice is still present to us today in the Mass. And that because of my sin, we still need that sacrifice. Mm. We still need the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We still need that scapegoat, mm-hmm. right? Because eyes we still commit sin. Well if we jump into the scripture, um this past this last Sunday's gospel, um, where is it? Jesus says, "Stop mum- murmuring amongst yourself." Right? He was mm-hmm. fussing at them because they were they were mummering amongst themselves, murmuring amongst, amongst themselves. Them. <laughs> no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. Right? And the only way we get access to the Father is through the Son. Yeah. Right. Um, a friend of mine spent some time in the Holy Land and he befriended a Jewish uh, guy about his age. And well, no, it wasn't about his age because he was much older than him, but they became friends and they were at a get together and he was closer to age to his buddy's dad. So he approaches the dad, right? And we lose so much in the scripture because we don't understand the culture. It would be like if somebody read a Cajun book, right? Yeah. And they didn't understand our culture, they would probably miss a lot of things where you and I would appreciate it more. So he goes to approach the dad of his buddy and his buddy like ran up and stopped him and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I was going to go talk to your dad. He's about my age. And he was like, you don't understand. You cannot talk to my dad unless I introduce you to him. Mm. So they're you know, there's some practical implications to the people, but Jesus says it, you know, you get access to the father through me. The mass is one of those, probably one of the main ways we do that. Oh yeah. Especially when we're talking about Jesus's sacrifice being interconnected to the liturgy that we celebrate. Right. Yeah. Directly. I mean, yeah. To access the son, look, we could, we can pray to Jesus at any point in the day. Right, and we could have a legitimate connection with him, right? A spiritual connection with him, full force. I'm all about it, right? Praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides me in my prayer and guides me to the Son, who leads me to the Father. But if we want to have a physical relationship with Christ, it has to be through the sacraments, right? If I want to have a tangible relationship with God, it has to be through the church, right? Because God didn't make me just pure spirit. If he did, I'd be an angel. And uh, just connecting with Jesus in the spirit would be a second nature to me. It'd be as easy as me blinking my eyes, right? Uh, but the, fact, the matter of the fact is I also have a physical body, and God's trying to redeem that too. 
So I pray in the spirit, yes, but what about my my senses, my sight, my taste, my smell, all, all these things? God's redeeming that too, and he does it through the church, the mystical body of the church, but has physical sacraments to encounter our physical bodies. I like that. Um, yeah, I... I, I our daily prayer life and relationship with Jesus is very important and both ebb and flow to and from the liturgy. Right? Mm-hmm. Like my experience at liturgy is better if I'm in daily prayer and relationship with Jesus Bingo. and my daily prayer and relationship with Jesus flows from the liturgy. That is a beautiful way to put it because think about it on Calvary. Who is there with Jesus on Calvary? A bunch of people. We had, yeah. Mary and John. Yeah. And like, they were with Jesus every day. And they ascended Calvary. So if we want to experience the real heights of the Mass, like the spiritual fruits that the saints talk about, that we need to be with Jesus every day in some way. Right? God, God is my Father. And because he's my father, my loving father, I talk to him every day. Mm. I spend time with God every day in silence, but then also in my daily activities. Everything I do, I consecrate to God or I try to. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's important to realize if we want to ascend the mount, mountain of Calvary, we need to do it one step at a time, but throughout the week. Like for me to just kind of pop in and out of mass without any relationship with God, how can I ever expect to get the fruits of the most powerful prayer in the world? This is made for giants, but it's also made for children. As long as you're trying to move forward with God, you should be able to get something. Yeah, so isn't today a feast day? The feast day of St. Lawrence. Didn't he have a special, is it him that had a special devotion to the Eucharist? I mean, I know all the saints did. Yeah. So St. Lawrence, I know he was a deacon of the early church in Rome. I think he was one of the seven deacons of Rome because deacons used to run the church pretty much. You heard that, Deacon Sammy and Deacon Phil? Yeah, they did. They look the the Father priest, Poirier don't run the church. Look, it's the, the deacons. Pri- the priests used to. Ju- I mean, they would they were the sacramental ministers and stuff. But in regards to like the, I guess you'd say that the duties, the office of everything, it was the deacons. Yeah, the priests now kind of have to do both, but for but in the early church, the deacons handled the official. I guess what we'd call I guess paperwork today. Okay. Uh, but you know, it's kind of have to hard, it's kind of hard to have paperwork back then when you didn't even have paper. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to point out the obvious, but so, so th- I, I think that there's a say, I, the reason I bring it up is because in my mind, I remember a St. Lawrence and maybe it was a different Lawrence and maybe it wasn't Lawrence at all being accredited with the quote that there's enough grace in the Eucharist to instantaneously turn us into saints if we would allow it and cooperate with it. Maybe it wasn't him that said that. I don't know if he said Maybe that. Maybe I made that up. I but no, no that is that is 100% true. Yeah. 100% true. So um, there's an author that I used to read a lot of. Um, maybe you're familiar. Sherry Waddell. She wrote the book Forming Intentional Disciples. No, I never. Okay. Uh, great book. Um, just about how we should, as a church, 
be intentional in how we accompany people on their journeys, right? Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but she says in it that, um, that, you know, we could mindlessly receive the Eucharist, not paying attention to, you know, who it is that we're receiving, go back to our computers and, and that could in fact be sinful. Right. And so couple of that thought with the thought of there's enough grace. And what if I actually was conscious of who mm -hmm. it is that I was receiving yeah. the sacrifice that I am at, right. And the grace that I now have access to, you know, and what if I cooperated with that grace? So for all of you out there listening who don't think that you can ever be a saint, remember that the grace that we receive in our sacraments is from the same God who gave the graces to the saints who went before us. Yeah. I mean, if if the Eucharist really is Jesus Christ, and, and it is, then of course it has enough grace to save you. Like in, in, in one instant, if you, could, if you could fully know and cooperate with the grace, it could immediately make you a saint. Immediately. Think about that. So Jesus ends this last Sunday's gospel with a pretty bold statement. Um, he's kind of been building for the past couple of weeks, right? I mean, when he said two Sundays ago in the gospel that... Uh, you know, I am the bread come down to heaven. Well, this past Sunday, they start off, you know, fussing about what does this even mean, right? But he drops a bomb and the gospel kind of ends with a cliffhanger. If you think about it, he says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Man, how did the Jewish people react to that? Well, they actually say how they react to it, but it's in it's in the gospel for this upcoming Sunday if it was an assumption. Sure. So what you're saying is the people are going to have to wait two weeks to get the answer to that. Well, no, I think we miss it this year. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, I we, could I could be wrong, but I think so. Well, that's fine. And though. so it's kind of crazy because like the big like power punch of John chapter six. It's supposed to be this upcoming weekend, but because of assumption, solemnity of our Blessed Mother's assumption into heaven, we're going to miss it. But I, I can't, it's not, it's, I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to complain? I mean, I can't, I can't no, no, complain no. against our Blessed Mother. They bumped it. Oh, they did? Yep. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. It picks off where many, many of his disciples were listening and said, oh no, actually you're right. We miss what the Jewish people say. We're going to jump into the dialogue that he has with Peter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Jesus says. Well, look, we got four minutes. Let's talk about it for a second. Yeah. Our blessed Lord says in John chapter six, uh, toward the end, right? So this is like uh, verse 50, I think 50, 51 that we're in right now. Um, he says that I am giving my life for the world. I am the bread from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread... I'm talking about is my flesh. Mm -hmm. And then the Jews began to murmur again. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, who, there's no way he means his flesh. And Jesus doubles down. He, what I like and what I would like to point out is there are several times where Jesus was misunderstood by people in the scripture mm -hmm. and he corrected them. No, you're not understanding me correctly. Let me explain further. And if he didn't do it publicly, there were several times where he knew he was misunderstood and explained, 
the or, or, or clarified with the apostles, if you will, privately. This time he doesn't do that, right? He says, I'm the bread of life. My flesh is this bread. And he says, and if you don't want to die, you need to eat this bread, my flesh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they misunderstand him, quote unquote, again, and he doesn't correct, right? No, he doubles down. So our blessed Lord, think about it. He had people, droves of people leave him whenever he said this. And whenever he, whenever they left, he doubled down on it. And then he turned to his apostles and said, will you too leave me? He had every opportunity to clear the air or to tell these people, no, look, so you, what you're misunderstanding, I don't really mean my flesh and my he, blood. He never said, look, y'all, you, you don't get it. It's going to be some unleavened mm-hmm. bread and it's going to be a, yeah. the best wine that you can have. And we'll, it's just just call, gonna... we'll just say it. It's not what John Calvin said, or it's not what Martin Luther said. It's not what Zwingli said. It's not what all these... Uh, Protestant reformers in the the 15th century said whenever they broke off from the church, Christ had every opportunity to clear the air, and he didn't. In fact, he doubled down on it. He said, no, unless you gnaw. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. And what you're referring to is, I mean, there again, we don't understand the culture, so we miss things. And we're reading a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation, Mm -hmm. right? But if we go back to the original Greek and Hebrew, the word eat that he's using is gnaw. He really means literally to gnaw on his flesh. Mm -hmm. You do not have life within you. Yeah. And so, I mean, we could we can really kind of put our heads in the sand and say, okay, we're just not going to take him seriously. But our Lord was very serious when he said this. And so at the end of the day, we a person has to kind of just draw the line and say, okay, do I want to take him seriously or do I not want to? And then if you don't want to, now the ball is in your court kind of to ch- just really cherry pick anything you want God to say and what he doesn't say. Sure. Uh, so really God just becomes my own voice. Uh, because if I only, if I reject the things God says that I don't like, well then it sounds like I'm just kind of looking myself in the mirror. I'm making myself a God. Yeah. And so, so that's, but our Lord was very strong press in, in this gospel, in this chapter. So I would encourage you, you know, just because I don't want you to miss a huge chunk of, uh, of scripture is to go and pick up um, where Jesus left off in from last Sunday's gospel and what we're going to miss this Sunday. We're not missing anything because we're celebrating a huge feast of the church. But yeah. what we're going to miss a section um, the way that it fell this year. We're going to miss a section of the Bread of Life discourse. I would encourage you to go grab your scriptures and see how Jesus double downs and see for yourself that he's not missing his word. Right. Yeah. And he doesn't correct when thousands of people walk away. Like he doesn't say, come back. And look, I encourage you, if you if it's been a while since you read scripture, pick it up, dust off, dust it off and just read John chapter six. It's a few pages. I mean, if you've been waiting for an invitation to open up your Bible after a very long time, let this be it. John chapter six. We're right in the middle of it. 
Sweet. Well, thank you, Father. I think this was a great discussion. Um, and this Sunday, we're all seeing how you're going to tie Mary and the Eucharist together. We're anxiously rooting for you. Yeah, well, look, the church has done it already for me. I just need to make sure I'm, uh, I'm familiar with it and I, could, and I could present it well. 100%. Well, we look forward to seeing all of you this weekend at Mass. Uh, until then, know of our prayers and God bless. God bless. God bless.